This episode of CM Monthly is brought to you by DrawYouAPicture.com, where you can get your next ministry logo designed from scratch for as low as $65. Check it out at DrawYouAPicture.com, view the gallery, see what I've done for others, and see what I can do for you at DrawYouAPicture.com. Also brought to you by High Voltage Kids Ministry Resources at www.HighVoltage-Kids.com. Children's Ministry Monthly, a podcast focusing on the needs of everyday children's ministers. And we're back. How you doing, people? Missed you. I've done a show like since June. It's ridiculous. Well, welcome to Children's Ministry Monthly. Uh, semi-annually. I should change the name. This is episode 15, brought to you the week of September 6, 2009. I'm your host. My name is James Kennison, children's pastor at Sheffield Family Life Center in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, today, uh, or tonight rather, we're going to be talking about dealing with tough issues, specifically those that relate to embarrassing stuff or things that are hard to handle, like antisocial behavior, defensive parents, or unpopular confrontations like having to fire a volunteer. Those are dirty, dirty, yucky, yucky things that uh, children's pastors, if you're, you know, or or even volunteer children's pastors that are in a place long enough, you're going to have to do it. And it's not fun. And uh, if you've never done it before, this will be the show for you. If you have done it before, listen. And if I missed anything, or if you have a story to tell, please send it in to cmmonthly at gmail.com. Or call us at 206-600-5704. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. All right, so let's just jump right in. Um, this came from an email that I received, and I, I apologize. I don't have the name of the person that sent it. But uh, the question is, uh, how do you handle head lice in Sunday school? He says, uh, my husband and I are the Sunday school directors for a small church. We face this problem every year. Uh, some of the older teachers freak out when they have a child with head lice. What is the best course of action with the teachers, the child, and the parents? And that, you know, I answered a question immediately, and we, we discussed some some basic ideas, and then we had uh, some more practical tips like having kits on hand and, and you know, how to, how to, you know, just policy on that kind of stuff. Um, I, I got to admit, because of the racial diversity in my church, I don't deal with a lot of lice. And... Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, black folks don't get lice, okay? And uh, white kids do, but they, they keep it to themselves. So they all just share, and it's just wonderful. Everybody gets along. It's awesome. No, um, but, you know, any kind of embarrassing thing like that is, it can, be, can be enough to make you want to quit at times. Um, you know, you're there to minister. You're there to be a blessing to people. And then after church... You know, parents are coming to get kids, they're hungry, they want to leave, and you got to say, wait a minute, and you see the eyes roll, and, you know, you realize the only time you actually talk to these parents is when their kids are in trouble, oh gosh, uh, which isn't a topic for another show. But how do you deal with it? And, you know, do you deal with it, or do you delegate it to your pastor, or whatever? Um, let me just throw some random thoughts out. I've got some bullet points, but... One thing, if you're from a church that has coordinators and then a, a, and a, a senior or a children's pastor with subordinates underneath, 
a lot of times I try to encourage my coordinators to handle these situations, not because I'm afraid of confrontation. I, I actually kind of like it, and it's a little scary to me sometimes. Um, because uh, I enjoy situations that are challenging, and I like to try to turn them around to glorify God if I can, and to benefit the family. Uh, but what I what I've realized is if I get involved as a pastor, it magnifies the drama. Okay, let me explain what I'm talking about. If if you're at church or at work, let's say let's th- throw it down to work, and a coworker comes up to you and says, "Hey, um, you know, blah blah blah," and they have a problem. No big deal. You work it out. Uh, the manager comes up to you and, 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 and they talk about the same thing. All of a sudden, it's a bigger deal. And if the company president, the CEO came down and addressed this issue with you, same issue, how big is it? How, how big of a deal has it become? It's become a, a great, huge deal. And so um, I try to encourage people, uh, my, my coordinators, if they can, to handle embarrassing, challenging situations at that level, uh, if the teacher doesn't want to do it themselves, that way it's not quite as big a deal. It's it's a lot less embarrassing for the teacher to tell the parent about something that's happened, like a wedding. If it, not a wedding, like two kids getting married in Sunday school, I'm talking about some kids wetting their pants. Uh, that's a lot less embarrassing than the pastor of the entire ministry coming and saying, "Hey, by the way." Yeah, yeah, Billy wet his, his underoos. Um, you know, three people at least have known, the teacher, the coordinator, and now the children's pastor. So that's my first tip. It, it, as low to the ground as you can keep this thing, the better and the more manageable the drama is going to be. Okay? Uh, second thing is almost just as important. Um, make sure you've got, just in a general sense, the support of your pastor. Okay, if you have a pastor that doesn't like confrontation and is a pleaser, you are going to be limited in um, how much order you can maintain in your ministry, especially if you have people that like to abuse policy and procedure or if you have defensive parents who kids whose kids do no wrong. Um, you're really going to want that. Uh, so make sure. Now, if, if it's a situation that is ongoing and you've got time, go to the pastor, sit down with him and say, OK, here's what's going on. Sister blah blah has a child who bit the ear off of a kindergartner. Oh, it's terrible. Jesus came and healed him, but still, you know, it's just terrible. Uh, and I'm going to go to Sister So-and-So, but she is angry woman. She's a mean lady. And um, I'm glad she's at church, you know, because good Lord, if she wasn't, you know. Uh, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to talk to her, and she's going to call you. And she's going to try to get me fired because she'll be embarrassed and she'll be mad. And uh, I need you to know that this is what I'm going to I'm not going to step outside of this boundary. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to have a witness. If you want to be there, great, fine, awesome. If you need me to record it. See, I, I've recorded uh, conversations with people before that I knew was going to be in drama in advance. But it's great to give your pastor a heads up because when they get blindsided at 3 a.m. from with a phone call from this freaking out person, they'll at least know, oh, okay, this is because, you know, uh, he his her child bit the ear off of little Sicily in, in, in kindergarten. And, to, you know, the best phrase your pastor can ever say to somebody like that, here it is, ask for this by, by name. Please go talk to Pastor blah, 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 your name, insert name here. Best thing my pastor has ever said to any person 
is have you need to go back and work it out with him. And I love that. That is support in a nutshell. It's easy for the pastor to say, and um, and it puts that person right back down. Because again, if if they get the pastor's ear and he sits down and has a three-hour meeting with them, even if he defends you, it's given validity to that drama, hasn't it? Uh, we've all been there. but uh, So yeah, make sure in a general sense, just overall, that you know you can step out on a limb, defend your policy, because you've been approved in advance that that he knows or she knows that you're uh, you're doing your thing and uh, you're going to keep it at a certain level. All right. Um, that being said, number three, the most important thing is to be uh, just just get it done. Don't put it off. Little things, as as embarrassing as they might be, as hard as it might be to do, if you put them off, they're going to be a bigger deal. And they're going to be a bigger deal primarily because if they were a big deal and then you you put it off later, you take a defensive parent and you just ramp it up to ten because they're going to be like, well, why didn't you tell me about tell us about why didn't you tell me this on Sunday if it was such a big deal? And then they're going to be mad because you delay you delayed it, you know, and you looked right at them and said, God bless you, see you next Sunday, and you didn't mention anything. They're going to feel cheated. They're going to feel even more embarrassed. They're going to know, and then and then they're going to use that as an excuse if they are defensive. To uh, downplay the entire thing, because if it had been a big deal, you would have mentioned it. Uh, little deals become big deals when they aren't dealt with. Okay, so uh, get that junk done. Pull them aside. I always talk with folks immediately, and I do it in public, but I do not do it publicly. Okay, I'm not going to pull them down to my office and have a conversation with them because it's private, and I don't want to risk. Um, a big emotional outburst of any kind. I don't want tears and I don't want screaming. But um, I, I do it in a hallway, uh, the doorway of a classroom, pull them into a stairwell, but I am going to make sure that I am in public. That gives you a lot of witnesses, okay? And it also keeps things kosher, all right? So that's that's my suggestion right there. Be direct and honest. Um, we... we if you're like me, or the way I used to be, I used to play through the entire conversation in advance in my head and try to come up with an answer for every possible situation that was ever going to happen. And, and of course, it never worked out that way, but it made me feel good. Uh, somebody called that mental gymnastics. And it's dangerous, and it's stressful, and it'll keep you up at night. And it'll also ruin your ability to just speak from your heart. Um, the best way to be direct and honest is to keep your goal in mind. Your end goal is to what? You want good behavior from that child or B, you want to provide a safe environment from your, for your, for your, uh, kids. And so you can't have that volunteer anymore or, uh, C, you need the support and help of the antisocial, of the parents of the child who's antisocial. Your goal is to not make it a, 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 an easy situation. It's not your goal to make the drama go away. Your goal is to to turn everyone involved into a little bit closer of a copy of Jesus Christ and to bring glory to God ultimately. Okay? I believe that's possible. I look at the Bible. I see a situation where a woman is dragged out into the street, and they're going to stone her. And they asked, you know, Jesus, what do you want to do? She was caught in adultery. She was screwing around. Ah, let's kill her. And uh, Jesus is awesome because he could have t- taken their side and said, yeah, let's let's get it. Get me a rock. Or he could have yelled at the men and screamed at them and judged them. He did something that 
convicted the right people and blessed the right people. Without validating what she did, he validated her and brought conviction to the men that was involved by simply saying, hey, whoever hasn't screwed up in your life, whoever's perfect, whoever's never made a mistake, you guys go ahead and start hurling rocks. He didn't he didn't speak down to anyone. He simply said the truth, and he uh, helped every single person in that situation. And though we're not Christ, um, I think our goal should be to try to work things out for every the good of everyone involved, even the jerky people. Okay, uh, for instance, if you have a person that that lost their temper with a child, maybe used a foul language or uh, called them stupid or whatever, whatever. Um, you know, your goal is not only to protect the children from that kind of behavior, your goal should also be to not put that person in a situation where that kind of behavior comes out. And so letting them go uh, is a benefit to everyone involved. You see what I'm saying? Um, I was in that situation. I'd love to share that story with you in just a moment. But um, when, you, when you're when uh, you being direct and honest, it's very important to just tell the facts. If you're like me with the mental gymnastics, you... You want to try to soften the blow. And I talked about this in our discipline episode where sometimes kids will be misbehaving and you, you, you don't want to upset the parents, so you try to butter it up. You know, it wasn't such a big deal, but Billy kind of stabbed Susie in the eye with a Sharpie. And she not only doesn't have an eye, there is a permanent black mark in her cranium. Not a big deal. I don't think her parents are going to freak out, but we would just really like in the future if we could just have him bring a paintball gun. And I think that would be less destructive. Okay, okay. And then the parents look at you and go, well, if it's not a big deal, why are you making a big deal out of it? And you look like a moron, and Billy's not learning his lesson. Again, our goal is not to change the behavior as much as it is to change his heart so that the behavior doesn't even isn't even thought of, isn't even considered. And from raising my own children, I realize nobody comes out of the womb uh, wanting to stab Susie with a Sharpie. Life happens to babies, and babies grow up, and they begin to try to exert control over their lives. And if they can't do that, they take it out on people that they consider to be smaller than them. Um, so there's a there's an issue there, and it's time to take it up with the parents. But you're not when we're being direct and honest. It's just important not to elaborate, not to play down, and not to build up. That's the other that's the other option um, that we try to do. I've seen workers do that, where Billy's been tapping his pencil on the desk, the most annoying thing possible, right? Because it's such a small thing, and you tell Billy to stop, and he doesn't. And then you put Billy in timeout, but then he comes back and taps his pencil. And then by the end of the, the class, the teacher is livid, and they jump out of the class. They get in the parents' face, and you need to destroy Billy by lobbing off his head because he was tapping his pencil the entire class. And you sound like a psychopath. And you wonder why mom and dad is going to be defensive because you look like a crazy person because all he was doing was tapping his pencil. Now there's a whole there's there's a lot more issues there obviously the way I laid it out but the parent teacher don't know that I mean the parent doesn't know that because you just came out all crazy and you exaggerated to try to get a some sort of response out of the person okay so what I've decided in my life is is I I don't do either extreme I simply lay out what is wrong with a situation and what the expected behavior is that's it. And that goes for volunteers, it goes for children, and it goes for parents. Um, we're all just different ages of the same type of people, okay? 
Uh, we're either developing issues as children or we're dealing with them as adults. It, it ain't a whole lot of in between. And um, I used to feel really weird about giving the expected behavior but what what other choice do you have? I used to offer suggestions on discipline. Well, you know, what you probably need to do is um, you just probably need to just pull his nose right off his face, and, and that would take care of things. No, uh, you, you, that's not our job. Our job is to put the expected behavior out there, hold them accountable, and then leave it up to them. If they're disciplinarians, they will take care of it. The behavior will change. If they are not then you've laid down the standard, and when the standards aren't met, then you can go to the next level and begin parental discipline in that situation. Of course, I'm, I'm referring to antisocial behavior in kids. With volunteers, it's a little more cut and dry because they're either going to work for you or they're not. So um, offer help and support when, when, it, uh, when it's necessary. Um, in the situation like the lice that we read about at the beginning – um, it would be really good to have a fact sheet uh, to educate parents um, about lice and why it's a big deal and how to get rid of it. It would also be helpful to have a few uh, lice kits. I know that we in the situations where we have had lice, it's usually been when we check for it, and that is uh, when we go to camp. And we've always prepared with rubber gloves um, and, and a kit to help uh, you know the kids get rid of it right there on the spot. So uh, just and if it's not lice, if it's something else, if it's behavior, um, you know, get get some resources together. Uh, find out what what uh, the parent and the child are dealing with at home. Um, that, that of course that's only really possible if you have a parent that will own up to it and say, yeah, I know, I know. He's crazy. The kid is out of control. I'm dealing with it at home, too, at school, and I would love your help. Uh, if you have a defensive parent, the best thing you can do is just hold tight to your standards, listen to their excuses, and just maintain that you need a certain amount of behavior. Otherwise, little Billy is more than uh, welcome to join her in the main service. Um, but uh, let's let's uh, keep in mind, again, keep in mind the main goal, uh, to turn things around, to open people's eyes to dis- disciple them uh, into uh, not just so much correct behavior, but a corrected heart. Um, if there's an issue behind the the problem, if it's wedding, if there's a medical issue, if it's an emotional issue, um, if it's uh, if it's a behavioral issue or chemical imbalance, if if their kid's special needs and they didn't tell you those, you know, those are all things that uh, I've dealt with in the past. It's important to find those things out. And and lastly, I didn't write this down, but don't go in angry. Don't go in with a presupposition. Sometimes if somebody's poor, we make decisions about them. If they if they have bad clothes and bad hair, we're going to assume certain things. And that's not always the case. There are stereotypes for a reason. <laughs> because if you bump into enough people that are the same, you start to make decisions. They're not right, though. And it's not good. So... Don't go in there with a judgmental attitude. Don't go in there like you're better than anybody. Um, don't presuppose that just because you see a kid two hours a week that you know everything about their home life. You know what? They may be great at home, and they're acting out for you because maybe you're not the best disciplinarian. Um, I don't know. Just something to think about. Just go in there with a pure heart. Keep your main goals in mind. Be immediate. Be kind. Be tactful. Don't offer any extra. Don't exaggerate. Don't underplay it. Uh, stick to your standards. Get your pastor's report. Um, 
But let's get specific for a bit. In discipline issues, especially antisocial behavior, we're talking about biting. Like biting's a big deal in nurseries, and and I'm not over the nursery at my church, thank God. Um, but I know about biters. Biters turn into uh, squirrely kids when they get older. But biting is one of those things that can be squished easily. Often it isn't, and it's annoying. But you need to have a firm biting policy or any kind of antisocial behavior. Bullying, for instance, that's a big deal these days. It didn't used to be. Well, it was, but nobody cared. Um, you know, hitting, compulsive hitting. You just need to figure out what you what your standards are and stick to them. And let the parents know. Um, now, on the other side, I'm all about balance. Make sure you're catching kids being good, too, and reporting that. If the only time you're talking to families is when their kids are being bad, you will become the bad guy. You'll become the person everybody avoids because all you want is to get them to work in your class and to tell them how bad their kid is. Um, don't get in the in the rut. I've seen so many children's pastors, including myself in the past, of becoming someone that can only communicate with your own workers and with kids. And the parents are the bad guys, your enemies. They're not your enemies. You are their support and their help and their resource. So keep that in mind. Um, blah, blah. Discipline. Um, again, just be, all that stuff applies. Be clear with your children. I have a consequence ladder that I go by. Uh, I can I can quote it to you real quick, but dis, I have a discipline series there on CM Monthly, and then also a uh, episode two, our most popular episode on discipline, talks about it. Uh, the first time a child messes up, there is, and this is consistent across all of my ministries. Uh, we give a verbal warning. We correct. We we redirect that behavior. Uh, second time they mess up, <clears throat> um, there is a timeout. One minute per year of life. We're not talking about putting them in the corner or out in the hall. Or we just separate them. They can still see the service or the class or whatever's going on. Uh, step three is a conference with a coordinator or pastor. If I'm available, it's me. If it's uh, a girls group and the coordinator is free, they're going to go out and talk with them. So we're stepping it up a notch. The The fourth step is a conference with the parents, and that's when I step in. It's It gets real fun. Um, or the ministry coordinator. Step five is one week off from the ministry that the offense happened in. And then step six is one month off. Now, Pastor, why do you jump from four to five with talking with parents to one week off? That seems kind of drastic. Well, that's because if I've talked to the parents and the behavior doesn't change, then we shift gears from disciplining the child to disciplining the parents. Because if the parents ain't got your back, all you are is babysitting to them, and all you can do is take away babysitting. I've gotten a lot of parents' attention that way. And I've also been able to identify and work with parents on a deeper level for children. Like, for instance, one time I had a parent that just said, Pastor, we are trying we are trying. This child, everything we did with the other three hasn't worked. This one is driving us crazy. We love him. He's the cutest thing ever, but we don't know what to do. Help me. And then we created a discipline plan just for that child that was a lot more lenient and uh, and, and took into account his conditions and situations, and he's doing great now. Um, so uh, that's why I moved to such a drastic drastic level but you see there's a progression that's why i call it a consequence ladder it's consistent kids know what's coming teachers know what's coming um you don't have to worry about if you're you don't jump from i don't know so many times in in children's ministry i see teachers get frustrated and, and they go all the way to the the ultimate thing if you're not good 
we're going to go to a big church and you're going to sit with your parents. And then you feel stupid because you're not going to do that because Billy was just tapping his pencil. And so you don't follow through. T- kids learn you don't mean what you say. They quit listening to you. Uh, but let's let's take this consequence ladder and apply it to the pencil tapping story that you looked like a, a, a crazy person before. Um, but at the end of the day, if you follow this consequence ladder and it's time to talk to the parents because you're at step four, you can say, look, Billy was tapping his pencil during service. It was very uh, distracting. And so I asked him, I stopped the class. I asked him, please stop. And he said he would, but then he didn't. And so we had to stop the class again. We put him in timeout for 10 minutes and um, we talked to him and asked him to stop. He said he would. We sat him down. He, he grabbed the pencil tapped it again i went and got pastor james and he had a conversation with him out in the hall and we talked about this and we told him that if he didn't stop we would have to talk to you but if he did we could work it out he said he would and we went back and sat down he tapped his pencil yet again and um you know we need pencils for work we would have just taken away from him but he he brought this on himself so now we're coming to you here's the situation billy's a good kid but he needs to learn to listen he needs to learn to be able to use his uh, tools properly, and uh, he needs to learn to quit lying. What we need from him next week is to be able to sit down, pay attention, and uh, keep his hands and feet still and quit tapping his pencil. You think we could do that? Thank you. And that's it. That's it. And if they want to complain and freak out, you know, whatever, whatever. But you don't sound like an idiot. You don't sound like a psychopath. You have established a clear pattern of discipline problems, and it's not just about tapping the pencil anymore. This guy, this kid has stepped to your face twice. He caught in the pastor's face, and now he was willing to um, pull his parents in. And uh, so it's not about the pencil. It's about attitude. It's about um, uh, somebody that is being just just rebellious, and so you can squash that. It's awesome. Uh, Let's talk about... Uh, wedding and lice and things like that um recently um we've had we've had a kid that um likes to wait until it's an absolute emergency before he goes to the, before he tells anybody about the bathroom and he has uh had two accidents in eight years i've had two pp problems and and they've been with the same kid and um you know the way i handled that <clears throat> is um, the first time I wasn't there. I don't know what was happening, but I wasn't there. Second time, I, I, I made sure the teacher knew to call me if it happened. And um, I was there to to take that over from the uh, teachers. I'm assuming, that, well, I don't assume. I know the teacher talked to the parent the first time. And so the second time I'm there, and I know what I said about asking the teachers to handle it, but at this point it was time for me to step in because it had become habitual and we wanted to stop it. So first thing I did right off the top is I said, uh, your son uh, had an accident today where he wet his pants. We have changed him. We gave him a new set of clothes. He can keep those. But what I need to ask you is, does he have some sort of medical condition that, that we're not aware of? Um, and, and she said, no, not that she's not that she knows he never does this except for in this particular service. And I said, yeah, I, I, I kind of figured that, um, you know, and then I, I said, what we need though, is for him to let us know ahead of time when he feels he needs to go before it's an emergency, because most of our policies revolve around, uh, the way children are taken to the restroom. And even if he tells us early it's chances are it's going to take a minute for us to get the right amount of people together to take a group to the restroom. 
And so he's going to want to make plenty of time. She says, well, uh, he says he raises his hand and nobody knows. Okay, that may have been true. It may have been her defending him. Either way, I had an answer for that. And that was this. And I say this at least once a month in all my services in a general sense. I said, little dude, anytime you're uncomfortable, anytime you think you're going to have any kind of emergency and you can't get a teacher's attention, you have my permission to walk right up on the stage and pull my hand or let me know. If in, in the way I say it in big or the main uh, children's services, I say if anybody's making you uncomfortable, touching you, saying things to you, and you can't get the help you need, stand up and scream or holler or shout and get the help that you need because Jam City is a safe place. And I was able to say that to him in his context, in his world. Mom was happy. Kid, you know, was retained a little bit of his dignity, and um, and and that situation has not happened again um we had another issue uh with a little dude that that is in i we've had fights before uh knock down drag out fights but only one that where a kid drew blood and it was a preschool fight of all things well this little dude was tough and uh he he cracked i don't know there, there was a kid that was bigger for his age and he was he was not a bully but he was just a big kid and you'd think you know he could take his own but he's the one that got hit and he's bloody and he's crying and blood's everywhere you know noses man once they get popped it's crazy time but um i i thought i had this one in the bag it was going to be very easy i was going to go to mom tell her what happened tell her about the expected behavior uh because the only time we step up the consequence ladder is when there's this antisocial behavior when there's a fight we go straight to step four there is no timeout. there's no nothing we remove the child uh, we have them sit down, and we call mom immediately or dad. And in this case, mom got immediately defensive. She blamed her single parenthood status. Da 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 da. I tried to relate to her, talking about that's fine, um, and I understand. I was from a single parent family. Da 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 da. But at the end of the day, I I just repeated the expected behavior. I said, at the end of the day, I can't have him hitting other children. I can't. Have him bloodying other people's noses. Can you? And then I, I couldn't get a response from her. It was defensive, defensive, defensive. I was attacking her. I was judging her parenting. Blah, 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 blah. And um, that happens a lot. You know, you can't attack, a, well, in their opinion, attack a child without attacking um, their, their, their parenting skills. And people get defensive about that. And I don't blame them. I got defensive the first time I told my my preschool's my preschooler's teacher told me that she didn't want to clean up. <laughs> I wanted to make excuses. Well, she doesn't like cleaning up at home either. But you have to you have to bribe her. No. Um. So uh, that one didn't end well, and they're not always going to end well. But at the end of it, I had nothing to apologize for. Um. It did end. I did get riled up, but finally at the end, I just said, "Ma'am, one thing." that I know about young men is that they're going to do stupid things, but they're never going to change until we demand that they own up to it and they take responsibility for their actions. They're never going to change if we make excuses for them. And then I walked away and that was the truth. And it was spoken in love and it was spoken with a heart that wanted to change that child's situation. Because you know what? If he goes around striking out at kids and striking out at adults later on as he's an adult, somebody is going to shoot him in the face. And everybody's going to cry and wonder what happened. 
Well, he's either going to shoot somebody or get shot himself. I've seen it too much. I'm from the hood, though. That's just the way it is. Hopefully not for him. But, um, do, do, do. okay. And then I've had to fire a few volunteers. And I say firing because I couldn't let them go. I couldn't move them to another ministry. I had to straight fire them. One of them was a guy that had been with the ministry forever. And I was the new kid. I was the new pastor. But, um... He had tied someone up, people. He had tied a child up before I'd even got there, okay? And they had remained he had remained in the ministry. Can you imagine? I know your mouth is hanging open. He had tied a kid to a chair who was being bad until his parents got there. How did we not get sued? I don't know. But I saw him strike a child to the floor uh with his hand. Uh on the back of the head for cheating at a game, you know. Boys are always trying to stay in and kick ball or, or dodge ball. And he, he hit this kid so hard um, that that uh, he fell. And it wasn't out of anger. That's the weird thing. He wasn't mad. He was just, you know, in, in 100 years ago on the prairie, it would have been fine, <laughs> which is where I think this fellow was. Um, you know, when everybody used to spank each other's children, you know, but things have changed. I don't know if it's for the better, but kids ain't getting slapped to the floor. And it always seemed to be an African-American child that this man had issues with. And there was no trying to redeem this situation. It, it, it had, There had been a history of it. It needed to be put down. I called him in the office. I sat down with him. I told him all of the things that I had seen. Um, I told him that I had no options but to do such and such. And I told him he was gone. And um, he's my buddy now. It's been, you know, five, six years now. And we talk, and it's cool. Uh, But I didn't exaggerate. I didn't beat around the bush. As uncomfortable it was, I simply told the truth. And I let it stand. I didn't try to make excuses. I didn't try to make him feel like a dog. Um, He was just too old to be in there, and the kids were getting on his nerves. And he was great with them until one of them kind of step to him like kids do and then he would lose it that was his issue he wasn't a bad person he just had a bad temper and i i was very clear with that and i i think that's where prayer comes in because you're not gonna be able to read people all the time but i'd watched him and if you really care about people you're gonna look and say why they do what they do and you know this guy you know he didn't leave the church he didn't quit being one of the biggest missions givers at the church and he's still in the choir he's still doing his thing uh, but he his place was not children's ministry. Uh, another situation, though, a guy went through background screenings, uh, went through all, he f- passed everything with flying colors, references, interviews, da-da-da, and his first night, he had an issue with a boy. He picked him up by the arms, shoved him against the wall, and shook him out of anger. And I found out about it. Oh, Lord, help me. And uh, I... I uh, I simply pulled him aside that night and said, this isn't working. That wasn't right. I can't let you back in. Thank you. That was it. He's gone. And he's, you know, again, a great guy. He just was not supposed to be with children. So, you know, but imagine if you had had let that drag on or been too wimpy 
See, I have to keep my end goal in mind. Do I want to offend this one person or do I want to risk him going to jail because eventually he hurts somebody or does that again and somebody just sees it and gets rightfully angry and wants to sue him and the church? I'd rather offend the one guy. I'd rather be uncomfortable for a moment than worrying forever. Um, I see a lot of junk going on not just at churches. Churches aren't the only one guilty. Businesses and schools and everything because people are afraid to say what they need to say. So don't be afraid. Uh, pray for strength. Keep your end goal in mind and just say what you need to say. And that's about it. If you have any input, please email it to Geek Loves... Oh, Geek Loves Nerd, my face. Uh, to monthly at gmail.com. Um, we got a tiny bit of news before we wrap up the show and that is that dave my co-host who is not here tonight uh is back home his house had been flooded as i mentioned last week big bad story but they got all the drywall in new carpets new floors uh no mildew smell and they're back and they're doing fine and i hope he's back to join us shortly um also uh the at cmmonthly.com we have a website and that's where you can get your podcasts and all that kind of stuff on but we also have almost daily articles that i'm writing on on things like that we feature in the show so things like discipline things like um you know answering your emails uh stuff on delegation stuff on why children's ministers struggle uh article after article after article and they're all divided out by categories and things like that so go over there and check it out and subscribe to our rss feed and all that stands for is a very simple way for you to get stuff automatically delivered to your email or a feed reader if you need more information on that click on the subscribe link at cmmonthly.com here's some of your input this was from skip hey there Thought I'd drop you a note and express my appreciation for a job well done. I just started listening to your podcast, and I can't get enough. The topics you have shared have opened my mind and feelings to what I've been going through. I didn't have anyone to understand my ministry. I knew that I, f- I knew what I felt on the inside, and I didn't realize other children's pastors are going through the same junk. I hope that made sense to you. Yes, it did. Uh, skip yes it did see we're in a we're in a pattern right now where children's ministry has gotten pretty darn popular and there's this super group of super pastor leaders that i love and i appreciate and i've learned a lot from but it's not really reality for most of us okay not all of us are 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 uh white collar children's pastors a lot of us are down in the dungeons of children's ministry and it is hard and we struggle and we pray and we have no support we have no money we share our space um we have we have struggles with parents and kids and we're just trying to live out a vision and a passion in spite of all of that i understand what that's like and i think if we can just say you know what i am struggling it is hard but i love it then that's when God can get in there and do something. God can't, God, I just don't, I think he limits himself uh, when people aren't real. So, yeah, uh, I do understand. I'm a paid part-time children's pastor, but in reality, I feel like I'm working full-time. I can relate to that too. Uh, The mindset at my church is give it to the children's pastor. He doesn't have anything to do. Please keep up the good work and keep giving out resources that help our ministry. I pray one day we might meet or talk about children's ministry. Remember, you are blessed and God loves your work. Thank you, Skip Barton. Well, thank you. I was wondering what God thought about it. Dear Children's Ministry Monthly, uh, just a quick email to say a huge thanks for all the wisdom and knowledge you share with all of us, your listeners, in regards to children's ministry. P.S. Turnout 
there is someone listening after all, Chris Neal. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I don't know if it's wisdom. I It's like this. Um, people say, James, you know a lot about computers. And I say, well, I just messed up more computers than you have. That's how you. That's how I learned how to not do stuff. And I think children's ministry is the same way. I've screwed up enough kids and ministries to where I know how not to screw them up. So, but if you want to call that wisdom, great. All right. Uh, Janelle writes. Uh, really liked what you have to say about making a kid be good, and that discipline alone will not change a child. A foundation in the Word of God. Amen. That's sent from Stacy's iPhone, actually, not Janelle. Janelle's not speaking right now. Okay, she changed her mind. Just wanted to say thanks for your website and podcast. I really enjoy the down-to-earth advice. I found your podcast on iTunes last week, and I think I've already listened to almost all of them. Keep going with this ministry. May God richly bless you, Janelle. Thank you, Janelle. You're awesome. Send us an email. Give us some advice. See, my theory is everybody's a genius in some area. Everybody's a resource. Everybody's a guru at something. And if if CM Monthly can be a way to give you a platform to share what you want to share, uh, with with the children's ministry world beyond uh, uh, religious lines and, be, and past uh, denominational barriers, then this is the place. Email at cmonthly at gmail.com. This is from Katie. Hey, guys, I love the podcast. You guys are great. I'm a young children's director down in San Diego, and thanks to all your advice and God's work, or thanks to all of your advice and God's work, we've made a lot of strides in the past year. Our church is young and pretty small. Our children's ministry is even smaller, about 35 kids altogether from uh, zero to third grade, but only a handful are school-aged kids. If you guys have any input or advice for groups of small numbers, I would really appreciate it. I found that most small groups seem to be about 35 kids. I wish... or more small group resources seem to be for about 35 kids. I know God will use this church in its own way and build our numbers as he sees fit, but I don't want these kids in small numbers to miss out on big impacts. Uh, on another note, I am looking for illustrations of the 12 disciples, not coloring page or anything, but I'd want to give um, the cartoons and da 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 any suggestions. Thanks again for your awesomeness, Katie Weber. Uh, Katie, real quick, the easy one is the disciple stuff. Any um, picture of a character that looks like they're in a robe um, can be any disciple you want them to be. You just put the title at the bottom and tell them that's who it is, okay? All of them have the beard, the hair, and the robe with the sash and the sandals. And so that could be Judas or it can be Peter. So there, that I don't know. That's the ghetto way, but that's the way I roll. As far as small churches... Um, that's my main issue with the children's ministry movement as a whole right now is it focuses on big churches and, uh, churches with resources. And, and, and that's because that's where the money is. And that's just where we're at. There's not a lot being written for rural churches or inner city churches where there are people that are just down there part time or unpaid, uh, because there's no money in it. Okay. If you have a church of smaller than, uh, or a children's ministry of smaller than 35, consider yourself blessed. I would love sometimes to have that. Um, but you, you have a harder job in many ways because your group is consistent, going to be a little bit more consistent and interruptions from one child is a lot bigger deal in a group of 30 than it is in a group of 300. One child messing around is not going to interrupt the entire class. So you have my sympathies when it comes to that. But you have opportunities to do things that nobody else does. All you need is people, and you're going to need people whether you have 35 or 135. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers, okay? It is his harvest field. He loves this ministry more than you. He loves these kids more than you. And it is his job 
to bring in people. We can recruit. I'm a big fan of it, but I've never kept anybody like I've kept the people that came to me because God was working on them. So pray for the right people. They are worth waiting for. And once you get them, um, yeah, curriculum is always a suggestion, in my opinion. And if it's not working for you, you may have to hack it up. And what one thing I would do, if it was my children's ministry, I would have three rotations, three rooms, three areas, three corners of the same room, whatever you got to do. I would divide my sermon up into three main points, and at each one, I would preach or teach or share that point at each of the three stations in three unique ways. I would either do a game station that taught a part of the lesson, a snack station where it wasn't just giving them a snack. They built the snack from scratch or put pieces together. If it's Daniel and the lion's den, you could build a den out of graham crackers and put a Teddy Graham inside of it and, you know, animal crackers for the lions. I don't know. But, but you're, you're, you're retelling the story one more time while they're building it. You're asking questions while they're eating it. See, and it's not a burn time. It's a learning time. And then um, maybe an interactive story where the kids make sound effects and, and they act it out or you just direct them. There's, there's, there's ways to do that that you can't do with a big church. Um, so enjoy that. If you need any more help, and, and it, guys that are listening to this, if you have any suggestions for uh, Katie about small group ministry or any kind of curriculum that focuses on them or is easily adapted to a small group, please let her know. Uh, a lot of the stuff I was mentioning was from group uh, Faith Weaver Friends curriculum, which I am a big fan of and we've used in the past. And uh, you can use it with almost any size group. Uh, so enjoy that and use it. And uh, let me know what you think. Uh, one more. This is from Verda. Hi, just came across your podcast and wanted to tell you I enjoyed your thoughtful discussion on what children's pastors and leaders face. Uh, I think your encouragement to keep a positive attitude is good advice, as well as your understanding of the struggles workers go through. As a veteran in children's ministry, I appreciate your approach. Blessings, uh, Verda. So thank you, everyone who emailed in. I love it. You know, you're bound to have a few emails when you haven't done a podcast since June. But uh, here we are at the end of episode 15. Um, It's time for us to get out of here. Uh, Our website, see you monthly. Dot com. Email cmmonthly at gmail.com. Our voicemail, 206-600-5704. Join us. Look us up at cmconnect.org. You can friend me, and we have a CM Monthly group. Tell somebody about the podcast, and uh, get on iTunes. Leave us a review. Thank you, and uh, until next time, God bless. God bless.